Welcome to another episode of Talking About PHI, featuring me, Catherine Vai, and Sue Chamberlain. The American Health Information Management Association, also known as AHIMA, has been around for a very long time, doing great things. And today we're so excited to be joined by its Chief Member Relations and Service Officer, Keith Olenek. Our PHI discussion will revolve around his new position and what it brings to the table, AHIMA's go-forward strategy, and then we're going to circle back around and talk about the uh, recent AHIMA conference and what excited HIM the most. We're going to also talk about HIM's future, uh, some areas of concern, and where there's a lot of bright spots. So Keith, tell us a little bit about your story and how you started with AHIMA. All right. Thanks, Kat. Well, I have had to tell the story quite a bit, starting with AHIMA uh, in January, actually. So it's just about 10 months in, and, and I was just telling some of my people yesterday, I can't believe it's already been 10 months, but then sometimes I can't believe it's only been 10 months. But I joined AHIMA as a student member back in 1982. So I'm definitely going to age myself, but I, I referenced that because we really need to promote our students getting engaged with AHIMA or our local state associations early on. But I, I started in back then. I think Sue can relate to this. It was called Medical Records and had no clue what I was getting into. But, you know, 30 plus years later, it's been a phenomenal career. And I know we're going to get to talk about a lot of the different opportunities. But my other favorite thing I like to say is I, I got involved with AHIMA and actually even starting in Missouri when I lived in Missouri with local and, and you work your way up. It's a phenomenal way to get a lot of experience, to meet people, to network. And that's really what has helped me in my career. But I started doing volunteer work for AHIMA back in about 2000, working on an exam construction committee and have done a lot of different things. I've been on the board of directors, which was a phenomenal experience. I served on our foundation board of directors, and then I've worked on our EHR practice council, our um, council on excellence in education. So I've, I've pretty much had volunteered in almost every type of opportunity there was with AHIMA. And now finally I'm getting paid to what I used to do for free. So that's kind of a fun, fun tip. But uh, coming to AHIMA in January was really a great opportunity towards pulling all the experience I've had over the 30 plus years from being an educator, a practitioner, a vendor, and being able to provide that value and then support our members in the industry working for AHIMA. That's an awesome story. And it's good to get paid for what you used to do for free. I like that. I've got yes. to figure out more of that. Mm -hmm. okay, I, gotta, I gotta ask a question though. Which exam were you on? I was the uh, chair for the uh, privacy and security exam and okay. started working on that back in 2000, which was a little bit of a struggle because HIPAA didn't go into effect until 2003. And you write an exam based on basically the regulations were all that we had. And if anybody's read the federal register and those regulations, they're they're kind of difficult and they're rather boring and they're rather dry and you'd like to have more reference materials, but we hadn't started writing a lot of materials because we hadn't implemented HIPAA yet 
Um, so it was a little bit of a challenge, but it was a fun experience learning how to write an exam. And it's really kind of a sneaky thing when you want to write detractors that are good wrong answers, because that's part of the key to a good exam is you don't want to make it so obvious, but it was the privacy and security exam. Okay, awesome. And yeah, uh, you have been beat by one year for joining oh, okay. camera. Yes, <laughs> yes. I did want to ask you about your title. You're the Chief Member Relations and Services Officer at AHIMA. And then if you could tell us a little bit about that and then maybe segue into a quick overview of the AHIMA conference that just happened about a month or two ago. Correct. Yes. This was a new position that was created back the end of um, last year. There's there have been a lot of changes with AHIMA over the last couple of years. Dr. Wylisa Wiggs-Harris became our CEO in 2018, and she's continued to work to make adjustments to make AHIMA a very sustainable organization, to be a future-focused organization. And sometimes moving forward, you need to make changes, and you move different departments around, different functions. And this position that they created was really well suited for somebody with a membership background. I don't have an association leadership experience, but I've been involved with AHIMA for so long that I really had a lot of exposure. The areas that this position covers are membership, certification, academic affairs, customer relations, and then governance. They're very member focused. We have other departments, publications, education, legal, HR, finance. I, those are all extremely important for keeping things going, but they're a little bit more behind the scenes as opposed to these were very much member facing. And the thought was really being able to provide that perspective of the members and what's important to them being able to talk the same language, just like I think Sue might be able to relate or Kat, even you. When I worked in a hospital, doctors like to talk to doctors, nurses like to talk to nurses. Well, here's a health information professional talking to health information professionals and members and somebody who's worked in the trenches and, and knows what they're dealing with because we're dealing with a lot of change going forward. So this was a new position and I think it's worked really well for, for even the synergy amongst those departments that membership certification, customer relations, academic affairs, they all need to work together. Members float between those different functions in their jobs or even what kinds of issues they encounter and, and what they're doing. And so we're able to pull those things together and create really good collaboration amongst that group, but also working on the collaboration with the rest of the staff at AHIMA because everybody really works well together and we're all supporting our members and the industry. AHIMA 21, you asked about that. There were a lot of phenomenal sessions. We were virtual again this year. We actually offered over 114 different sessions. Included in that were quite a few tech demos, which was a new take as vendors were virtual. We wanted to give them an opportunity to talk about what they were doing to contribute to the health information and the healthcare and the industry. And you had 10 minute snippets of, of a vendor and a customer talking about how they were applying their technology towards a specific uh, focus area. But the domains that were covered were clinical foundations, data st structure, content, information governance, 
as always, health law and compliance, because we're all about compliance and with regulatory changes. Evolving topics was another huge section where we talk about new things, artificial intelligence, blockchain, uh, APIs, uh, information protection, disclosure, access, and then really some significant topics. And we had really high attendance on organizational organization development and leadership, uh, working in a virtual environment. And, and those of us that did it, I had sent employees home 20 plus years ago. Some people didn't send employees home until the pandemic you know, hit. So we're all still working out and evolving that situation of how do you support remote staff? And we all as leaders need to really step up our game as things are happening much more quickly and healthcare is putting so much more pressure on us. And so those were some of the big things. And last but not least, revenue cycle all across the board. If we don't get paid, we don't get our money, we can't continue to provide care, we can't um, pay our staff, we can't develop our staff. So those were kind of some of the big highlights. That's right. Well, a lot of times people don't think of HIM and revenue cycle. Either. Um, that's an interesting thought process there. Yeah. Um, or they just think of coding as part of it and don't realize how some of the other areas impact. Correct. There, there's a lot more. I, I like to think that HIM is sometimes in the middle of the revenue cycle, yeah. but we also get involved on the front and the back end, and we all need to work together, everybody within that space from pre-certification all the way to the end and following up on claims and, you know, patients have questions about deductibles and whatnot. Health information can play a role in all of those, all of those areas. Absolutely. I like to say that I tell the C-suite a lot of times that HIM tends to have one foot in, in uh, revenue and, and administration and one foot in clinical. Yes. Because we have to understand what they're doing, how they're documenting, right. what the process is. Are they missing documentation? Correct. And I think that that's a missing piece a lot of time for what the C-suite understands. And I, I mean, I will tell you recently in my last position, we moved off campus because of course on campus hospital, HIM, it's very expensive. So it's very common now to move revenue cycle off the main campus. And when we moved, we had all kinds of people, they put us in a back room so that we could protect all the paper records. And we were trying to be up front so we could make sure that we were there. Clients, you know, patients came in and wanted records and that time of thing. They're like, no, we want you so you're behind locked doors so you can keep all the records. And it's like, what records? We're right. now fully electronic. Right, right. And they weren't even thinking about the fact that we no longer are a department that's full of rolling file cabinets, mm -hmm. that type of thing. So, yeah. There's a lot of changes that have yes. occurred, but not everybody's always aware. No, they're not. We're the best kept secret. Exactly. <laughs> so you're, what you're saying is that the organization and development and leadership uh, kind of uh, bubbled up as one of the main or more topics that were people were interested due to COVID and so on. For years and years, you know, um, HIM had their staff right there, and now where the the whole concept of managing people from remote is a challenge. It's something that when I uh, was working on the provider side in healthcare, we used to do it two days a week. People could you know work from home and so on. And really, your your what you 
start to do is track their productivity in terms of, are they finishing the jobs that they needed to right. complete? Are they um, meeting the goals that you set? And, and it kind of changed the dynamic from having to watch over people to more making sure that they're um, completing the tasks that they need to. So I, I can see why a lot of folks um, were interested in that. But on the technology side, what would you say it was the, the next big buzz that folks were looking at? Is it AI that people are looking at? in HIM or is it something else? Artificial intelligence is, I think, just one of one of the technologies. It's really an enabler. And it's something that I think many health information professionals are a little bit afraid of because they've heard it's going to take jobs away. We look at how AI has been deployed in other industries. Um, fast food restaurants, for example, kiosks, being able to order food without necessarily speaking to a person, banking, travel, all, all of these other industries that have been able to automate chatbots. We need to embrace that technology and, and be the champions of it and not have somebody come to us and say, oh, by the way, we're going to We've selected the vendor. We've already implemented it. Now you either have to figure out how to use it. You need to fix the mess and the problems, but our skills and our competencies of our workforce need to be elevated in order to appropriately utilize this technology and figure out what's the best way to implement it. Where should it be implemented? Not every place is gonna be the best depending on how advanced the technology is. Just thinking about computer assisted coding and what they were putting out there maybe 10 years ago versus what they're doing today is like night and day where you were training it initially and now it's become so much more robust because it's already done all the training, it's connected um, the dots between the various uh, documentation, connecting it to the codes if we're just gonna talk about that. But um, we need to be very informed about technology and not afraid of it. The other piece about technology is information blocking, interoperability. We've been talking about interoperability forever. And the information blocking is just another way that the government is kind of forcing upon us something that we already as health information professionals wanted to do. We never wanted to prevent the patient from getting their records but we were dealing with paper, as Sue said, there are still some hospitals and organizations that still unfortunately have paper. Absolutely. Or even the, the other side of that, I, I did a project a couple of years ago for a healthcare organization that had been electronic for probably 15 plus years. They had 165 different applications with patient information in them. They had pharmacy systems, they had cardiology systems, lab, they had multiple hospitals that were coming together. They had gone on to one EHR in 2016, but they had all this legacy data that they needed to figure out where was it? What did we need to keep? What could we get rid of? How do we merge all this information together? So those release of information people, bless their hearts, we're sometimes having to go into 10, 15, maybe 20 different applications to pull all that information together. So you could see that it was the perception of the patient not getting their records timely. 
they were having a heck of a time trying to find it all. So now the government has put information black on the 21st Century Cures Act and setting parameters and definitions. So that is a huge thing from a compliance perspective that's coming up at the end of next year. And then the following year with that timeline, people are scrambling to be able to ensure that they can provide information to patients timely going down from the 30 days. There are some states that have implemented laws that are even shorter time frames, 24 hours, 48 hours, which at its best, it's difficult to do. All of those kinds of things were really hot topics, people sharing their stories, their best practices for people that have tackled those challenges and been successful. But that's an ever evolving situation that uh, health information professionals are really concerned about, but they really, at the end of the day, want the patients, the clinicians, whoever needs that information, they want to make sure it's getting to those people appropriately, securely, privately, and accurately. Yep. You're absolutely right. There's so many people now that when they do think now that we're an EHR instead of paper, that it's just, uh, as we call it in the field, pushing the smart button, that somebody just has to put the e push the easy button. Sorry, they just have to push the easy button and away it goes. Mm -mm. And they do not understand all the components behind it, legal health records, all of that type of thing. So yeah, that that is very interesting as, as a hot topic with so many things going on. And we still don't even have what all the regulations are going to look like. Correct. And Sequoia Public's working on it, but there's right. so much more to go. Right. And potential changes to the privacy laws, which are long overdue and needed, and we still have the patchwork of the states creating their own privacy laws. California is on the, I'd say the bleeding edge, not even the leading edge from privacy and being much closer to the GDPR that they have you know, in, in the EU and outside of the US. But as we become more of a global society and patients come and go, to different places and might be getting care outside of the US or people outside of the US coming in. We don't have equal privacy protections across the board. And that makes it very difficult to know when can you, when can't you. And it, it just adds to that complexity of then appearing to be blocking when actually your goal is to protect. And there's a fine line be, between that. Uh, sorry, I was just going to ask, are you at all concerned that the pendulum is going to go a little too far away from protecting versus, you know, that that's one of the things I've been struggling with, but I'm just curious your thought that in order to not block, are we going to be giving up too many protections in your eyes? Possibly. Um, I'll, I'll, the diplomatic or the political answer, you know, they dance around <laughs> it and they don't really answer your question. I, I, I think that's always a possibility. What concerns me even more though, is that the patient under the um, information blocking in the 21st Century Cures Act, which giving them better access to their information, the requirement that the patient can ask any provider who has their information and the payers as well with the claims data that they have to send their information via an API to anybody that they so choose. There's numerous issues with 
with that in that many of those people who are going to be asking for information. I mean, just looking at, I, I have a watch that tracks my steps, my breathing, my sleep, all of that. And I installed those apps. They said, will you share your information? Well, I said yes, because it's to me, that's not sensitive information. It's not behavioral health. It's not drug and alcohol or any of those other sensitive things. But patients, consumers, let's talk consumers, not even patients, because it's all about wellness prevention. They're going to just agree to have their information sent because they want to track something. Maybe they have a health condition that they're wanting to do a better job of their exercise, their diet, you know, all of those things. We're required to send it via an API to whomever the patient consumer asks us to, and we cannot ask questions. Uh, HEMA is working with a vendor and we have a dHealth initiative where we're going to validate these APIs to ensure that they have the appropriate privacy, security. Are they, you know, how is patient identity and all of those things being done? But there's no requirement that anybody validate or sign off on these APIs and then who's asking for the information or who's going to get that information. So to me, it's it's we have a huge job ahead of us as health information professionals to begin educating consumers about this because we can't prevent it from going, but we can educate about where it's going to go and make sure you're checking. Have you read all that fine print when you click yes? I mean, how many of us click on, on, they agree to whatever it is when you're doing a software update, who reads those software updates? You know, do you scroll all the way to the bottom? Do you read every word and know how they can resell your information, use your information, share your information, all of that? We don't, but we need to educate consumers about this because it is their information. They should control it. And we can't prevent it from going anywhere unless we have reason to believe or we actually know then those are some of the exceptions where you're not considered to be information blocking, but you, you really then need to understand that and then be able to uh, document it and, and prove that you were protecting the patient appropriately. I keep thinking that healthcare organizations almost have to think of a contingency plan. In theory, I understand giving patients their information and then allowing them to send it to whomever. But once there's a breach, once there's a problem, once someone starts hacking into data, it almost seems like it'll swing back to the, it'll swing back to whoever originally sent the information. So it's almost like, I just feel like it's inevitably it's going to go back and say, no, 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 you have to be more strict or it becomes, Hey, once you have it, patient person, that's up to you. We wash our hands, but th mm -hmm. it just doesn't seem like the right message. Right. That That's where I believe there is talk of how the privacy rule will be expanded. Right now, HIPAA only applies to covered entities and business associates for a any organization who has patient information to have to sign a business associate agreement with every potential person out there that a patient might want to send their information to is unmanageable. There's no way possible. But if we can expand the privacy requirements across other 
anybody who's going to get the information that puts a little bit more onus on them. But even when you look at the Office of Civil Rights, who is responsible for enforcing HIPAA, they get so many complaints or they don't even get all the complaints. They don't have time to go out and proactively survey people. They did some of that a couple of years ago where they asked people and then they did some targeted surveys, but it's, you're on the honor system. If you're, if you have to comply with those rules and regulations, then the onus is on you as a vendor. And if you want to have your reputation in the industry or, or to your customers, Mm -hmm. then you're going to want to check everything off the list of these are all the things you need to do to be compliant and protect that information. But even everybody that does everything they're supposed to under HIPAA, the hackers, all all the things that have happened from a cybersecurity perspective, I don't think anybody is 100% safe, but we need to make sure we're following everything we can to mitigate um, the potential for, for that, but you need to be prepared when there is a breach and then the, the disclosures and, and all of those types of things. It's, it's a never ending job for people that are working in that, that space. But I think health yeah. information needs to take, if patients are gonna have access to their information and release of information really goes to the other side of the fence now, you're no longer the one releasing the information because the patient's gonna have access. We're gonna have greater portal access Patients should be able to almost go in and and do self self service, mm-hmm. kind of so to speak. We need to be educating the consumers. We need to be working with these vendor partners, all these other organizations that are going to help make that happen. There's so much more work to be done, but we need to be up on the technology. We need to be up on the laws of of the various states, of the countries, of other parts, wherever that information may be going, and help build those interfaces. But then health literacy is another huge thing that AHIMA is, is working on. And our foundation just kicked off a health equity and health literacy campaign. But health information professionals can find a lot of work doing a lot of different things, working with consumers. Many of us, like myself, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I didn't want to get into that, even though it wasn't the, you know, the gore and, and all of that. But we can interact with consumers now and provide value to them, even if we're not putting our hands on them and taking care of them. Hmm. Absolutely. And, and I'll throw out for our non-HIM listeners. I've talked to many different people who are like, I really don't care if somebody hacks into a system and finds out I have hypertension. And what they don't understand is all the information that's in there, including their social security, their address, their date of birth, their medical insurance information, all of that type of thing. And that's some of the things that, you know, hackers could sell. So just throwing that out for those listeners. And I wonder if a lot of these vendors who are seeing the opportunity on the back end. So you had the, the vendor that has the information or getting the information, you give it to the patient, and then you have the recipient of that information. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they even realize how much peril I guess they're in because now they have, they're going to have all this data. So then now they're uh, another access point for hackers. So even if you right. sign on the dotted line, right. that could create a lot of peril for them. So there's an education that mm-hmm. maybe they even need or, or could learn from AHIMA and so on, or from HIM right, right. folks that, that would help them to better manage and take care of that data once they have it so they can make their money. Okay, so what do you, cause I hear, I hear a lot of, I heard a lot of uh, great information here. So 
with regards to HIM, some of the things that they're going to focus on in 2022, I guess it's similar to what AHIMA in general will focus on. So is it going to be around technology and um, the new uh, regulations or, or do you have something else that you're also focused on that maybe people are not even thinking of for 2022-23? Well, we're, we're about halfway through a strategic plan that started in 2020, and it'll go through 2023. We did a lot of work, and when I came on board in January, January, we really focused on our strategic outcome, too, which was about workforce, education, professional development. I know Ahima's been talking about this. I wrote an article last year. Ahima started talking about the future and the need for advancing your education, being mindful of the impacts of technology back in the 90s. And we're now doubling down at Ahima on workforce development, enhancing competencies, enhancing skill sets, and really providing both academic curriculum updates and professional development through webinars, seminars, whatever it might be, podcasts, our journal, and any other publications we do, that we really need to begin upskilling. And we need to be prepared to be able to utilize the technology, advance the technology, implement the technology, and sell our skill sets and our competencies that are going to be outside the traditional roles. We can't keep talking about the jobs we had in the past because things are evolving. And as healthcare organizations maybe don't need as many of us, we can provide value to the payers. We can provide value to every single vendor that's out there that's working in the healthcare space. And there are billions of dollars being invested in healthcare, even a lot of private equity. So we need to be able to talk to anybody. What are the competencies I have? What are the skill sets? How can I help you turn data into information? How can I help you ensure the integrity of the data and the information, the access to it, the quality of it, the capture of it, the distribution of it? We need to talk competencies and skill sets versus saying, I'm a this or a that, because that doesn't translate very well. And, and our, our professionals have gotten kind of caught in this, well, these jobs are going away. Well, that's true. But sell yourself and what you can do in a different job and don't get hung up on the title or, or the role, but look at, look at job postings and see what they're asking for. And if you can do eight of the 10, apply for the job and sell yourself. So we're really working on workforce development, um, how to promote your personal brand and, and selling yourself and adding value to the industry. Those are, yeah. those are our big focuses. Yeah, I'm just going to say from a personal standpoint, that is so exciting because I've always been one of those weirdos that have been going back and forth between hospital settings and a whole bunch of different other settings. Mm -hmm. And I remember I actually even sent a, a email to Ahima years ago saying we need to look at stuff other than hospital HIM medical yes. record departments because we have so much to offer and people don't realize that. So that is just really exciting to, to hear that. And to, because you're absolutely right. There are so many things with our background and experience that we have a bigger picture than a lot of other silos within healthcare. Correct. And, and yeah. how they all come together. 
Now, one of the things I always share with uh, folks that I'm talking to, because I also have another organization called Women with Dynamic Purpose. And one of the things we talk about is exactly what you said, Keith, is like, not just I am a, it's tying what you do to the value of whatever organization you're with. And that means understanding like HIM is in the, the beginning, in the middle, and the end of revenue cycle and how important revenue cycle is to the organization. So you're not just talking about listing of your tasks, it's what you do and how it positively affects that organization and helps the organization meet its goals. So understand what the organization's business goals are and what role you play and what happens if it doesn't happen right and what happens when it, when it happens perfectly. So it's just really talking about that. And that's as, as a marketer, that's what I always bring to the table in terms of learning I, and, and understanding the value that you bring. Yep, totally. I was looking on your website and you do have your strategic plan and it goes from 2020 to 2023. And it's a, anybody can access this document. It's really great. It's at ahima.org yes. and it, it is a great read uh, and it's in a nice format. So, you know, I would suggest folks to take a look at that and cause it really lays out a good framework for what you guys are planning um, today and tomorrow. But what else should, if I'm an HIM, person, if I am in the HIM business, what any last tidbits that you want to share? Or if I'm not, if I'm in HIM and I'm not part of the HIM organization, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to join and be a member? Right. A couple of things. We're really focused on beginning to look at growth and innovation. In 2018, AHIMA felt, and it was recognized and agreed by the board by the House of Delegates, that we were potentially in a state of decline. We've made a couple of pivots and now we're looking to be in a growth and innovation mode. It's almost like being in a startup, which is really exciting, even though we're not a startup, we've been around for 90 plus years, but we have a very strong foundation to build upon and it's gonna be exciting for a lot of new opportunities. And our members should be excited, but they need to prepare for the disruption that's happening. They need to embrace uncertainty, but they need to know that we are going to do everything we can to help provide them with education, with resources. And the fact that we have a perfect opportunity with our experience in dealing, and Sue said it earlier, we balance all sides of the clinical, the financial, the business, the legal, the technology. We're well-suited to support the consumer, and the consumer is going to be the center of everything going forward. And I intentionally use the word consumer as wellness and prevention have got to be part of what we do in the United States and in the world. They say um, healthy people lead to healthy economies. You are much more financially viable when, when the, the people and the population are healthy. And we can work with consumers. We have that opportunity to work with any organization who's looking for that consumer dollar and all that money that's being invested. But we need to invest in ourselves and our education, our professional development, and not be afraid to step up, raise your hand, volunteer, get engaged, get involved, get ahead of the change, and really promote yourself to improve the, the health of our of our population. Are you seeing uh, young folks coming into the HIM field? I mean, I'm a boomer. So I mean, I see there's a lot of 
folks my age in a, right. uh, a, a HIM. Are you seeing a younger population coming in and what's in it for them? We're, we're focusing on, on younger and we're going to start proactively marketing the health information career, even grade school, junior high. We're considered part of the STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math, and re really being able to push that as there's funding uh, from an educational standpoint for programs that, that are in, in those um, four quadrants and getting people informed about what is the new state of health information versus what it's been in the past. And so I really think we've got a lot of opportunity to engage younger people. There's a bunch of us, I included, are gonna be aging out in the next 10 years or so. And we've, we've gotta build the pipeline and we're working with our educators, with our states, and, and then just promoting the profession across the board. Any last thoughts, Sue? No, it just, he reminded me of when I was younger and I would tell people that I was in the medical record field or the HIM field, had my bachelor's and they'd say, oh, you file. It's like, yeah, I went to school for four years to file. Yes. So I'm glad that we're really trying to promote it out there because I found it by, uh, I, I was just lucky that I came across it. So I think it's great that we're getting it out there and letting people know that there's more than just nursing doctors and, right. you know, so that's awesome. Well, Keith, thank you so much. This was so insightful. I think a lot of people learn. I learned a few things about AHIMA, and I think that folks should definitely go to uh, ahima.org mm -hmm. and check it out. You'll learn a lot there. Definitely look at the um, strategic plan. Thanks again, and uh, hopefully we can get you back uh, in the future, or you can talk uh, Wailisa to come in. Yes, <laughs> we can bet. chat some more. I would love to. Love to do that. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another great episode of Talking About PHI. To hear past episodes or to leave comments or learn more, visit us at www.cvstrategicmarketing.com. Until next time.